This is James, and I'm reading Radiographic Image Analysis, the fifth edition, by Kathy McQuillan-Martinson. We'll be finishing Chapter 2, Part 3, Special Imaging Situations, Mobile and Trauma Imaging. The goal of mobile and trauma imaging is to produce optimal images without causing further patient injury and with minimal patient discomfort. The following are general guidelines for obtaining this goal. Number one. Based on the requested order, determine the projections that will be needed and the order in which they will be completed. First, obtain the projection that will provide information about the most life-threatening condition, like a cross-table lateral C-spine, if a cervical fracture is in question, or when obtaining an AP chest projection for a patient having difficulty breathing. Speed is of the essence in many mobile and trauma situations because the patient can be quite ill. Having a thought-out plan of action before starting allows the technologist to work in an organized and speedy manner. As a general rule, after the initial projections associated with the life-threatening conditions have been exposed and checked by the radiologist or physician, the remaining projections are exposed in an order that will require the least amount of CR adjustment. All AP projections are exposed, and then the CR is moved horizontally for the lateral projections. It is important that projections be obtained that are a 90-degree angle from each other, like AP and lateral, when fractures in foreign bodies are suspected to determine the degree of bone displacement and depth location. Number two, gather and organize the supplies, such as positioning aids, disposable gloves, and radiation protection supplies that will be needed and determine the starting technical factors for the needed projections. Cover the positioning aids and IRs to protect them from contamination. Number three, determine the degree of patient mobility, alertness, and ability to follow requests. Can the patient be placed in a seated position or be rotated to one side? Can the arm or the leg fully extend or flex? When the patient is asked to breathe deeply, can he or she follow the request? Can the patient control movement? Number four, assess the site of interest for physical signs of injury. For things like swelling, bruising, deformity, or pain, Understanding the degree of injury will help the technologist prevent further injury during the positioning process. Number five, determine whether positioning devices like slings, backboards, or casts, and artifacts such as heart leads, clothing, or jewelry may be removed, and if not, whether they will obscure the VOI on the ordered projections. If positioning devices or artifacts will obscure the area, Consult with the radiologist or ordering physician about the possible alternatives, like taking a slight oblique instead of a true projection. Number six, set an optimal KVP and mass, or AEC, for an anatomic structure and projection being imaged. Technical adjustments may also be needed due to the increased photon absorption that may occur because of positioning devices, artifacts, additive or destructive patient conditions, or the SID or OID not being set at the routine settings. Number seven, obtain the requested projections. The technologist should attempt to fulfill the routine positioning guidelines for patient positioning, CR centering, IR and part orientation, and collimation when obtaining mobile and trauma projections. For patients who are unable to follow these requirements, adaptations to the setup can be made. Never force the patient into a position. Instead, adjust the CR and IR. As long as the CR, part, and IR 
form the same alignments that are indicated for routine positioning, identical projections will result. Number eight, use the smallest possible OID and increase the SID to compensate if a longer than routine OID is needed. Number nine, use a grid if the patient part thickness is over four inches and over 60 kVp is used. When the positioning latitude is narrow because of the patient's condition, or when the mobile unit is used, choose a linear low ratio grid to allow for the greatest positioning error latitude. Evaluate the alignment of the CR and grid. Ask yourself, is the CR aligned accurately with the center of the grid? If the CR angle is used, is it angled with the grid lines? Is the grid level? Is the SID within the grid's focusing range? Is the correct side of the grid facing the CR? Number 10. Use good radiation protection practices. Ask female patients if there's any chance they could be pregnant. Never assume that other staff members have asked. Use gonad shielding whenever possible. Collimate tightly and provide those assisting with patient holding during the exposure with aprons and lead gloves. For recumbent patients, projections of the extremity should not be taken by placing the IR in part on the patient's torso unless it is the only means of obtaining accurate positioning. If this is the case, always place a lead apron between the IR and torso. Not all the radiation directed toward the IR is absorbed. High energy beams will exit through the back of the IR, exposing structures beneath. Number 11. Never leave a confused patient or a trauma patient unattended in the imaging room. Number 12. Process the projections and evaluate them for positioning and technical accuracy. Determine whether repeat projections are needed and how much adjustment will be required. When the trauma is severe, all the evaluating guidelines listed in the procedural section of this textbook may not be evident. This is one of the reasons why it is good to know more than one anatomic relationship to indicate accurate positioning in the evaluating guidelines. Number 13. Repeat any necessary projections. Number 14. Return the patient to the emergency room or, if the projections were taken with the mobile unit, replace the bed, monitoring devices, and personal items to the positions they occupied when you entered the room, or to positions that make the patient most comfortable. Number 15. Disinfect all equipment and devices used during the procedures. Guidelines for aligning CR, PART, and IR. Whenever possible, Set up the routinely used CR, PART, and IR alignments as you would for the routine projections. The word PART with regard to alignment refers to the specific plane, imaginary line, or anatomic structure used to position the patient with the CR and IR in routine positioning. Lateral Projections Routine lateral foot projections require that the foot's lateral surface be aligned parallel to the IR and the CR be aligned perpendicular to the PART and the IR. In this situation, the lateral foot surface is the part because this is what is used to position the foot in relation to the CR and IR. If the lateral foot projection is taken on the imaging table, the patient will externally rotate his or her leg until the lateral foot surface is parallel to the IR and the CR will be aligned perpendicular to the IR and part. If the lateral foot projection is taken in a standing position, the IR will be positioned vertically and the CR horizontally. Even though the setup appears different, the CR part and IR alignments are the same as in the previous setup. The lateral foot surface is positioned parallel to the IR, 
when the CR is perpendicular to the IR and lateral foot surface. Often when a cross table projection is created, the path that the CR takes is opposite. For a routine tabletop lateral foot projection, a medial lateral projection is performed, whereas a lateral medial projection is used for cross table projections. To obtain identical projections for both pathways, the CR part and IR must maintain the same alignment. This means that the lateral surface of the foot must still be positioned parallel to the IR for a lateral medial projection, even if this surface is not placed directly adjacent to the IR. For a lateral projection, this will require the medial aspect of the heel to be positioned slightly away from the IR. If a patient arrives in the radiology department in a wheelchair and is unable to move to the imaging table for the lateral foot projection, the projection can be obtained with the patient remaining in the wheelchair. First, align the lateral foot surface with the IR and then align the CR perpendicular to the IR and lateral foot surface. Again, because the relationships between the CR, IR, and part are the same as in the two previous setups, the resulting projection will be identical. Oblique projections. For trauma oblique projections, begin by aligning the CR with the plane, line, or anatomic structure that is used for an AP projection of the part being imaged. Next, adjust the CR in the direction needed to set up the correct alignment between the CR and structure. Because the degree of angulation in which patients are rotated for oblique projections is always referenced from the AP or PA projection, the amount of angle adjustment would be the same as the required degree of obliquity. For a routine internal AP oblique elbow projection, the CR is aligned at a 45 degree angle with an imaginary line connecting the humeral epicondyles when the medial epicondyle is placed further from the tube than the lateral. To obtain the same projection in a patient who is unable to rotate his or her arm, the technologist first positions the CR perpendicular to the line connecting the epicondyles and then adjusts the angles 45 degrees medially, positioning the medial epicondyle further from the x-ray tube than the lateral epicondyle. The IR would then be aligned as close to perpendicular to the CR as possible. Alignment of CR and part versus CR and IR. To obtain open joint spaces, clearly see fracture lines or obtain specific anatomic relationships, the alignment of the CR with the part must be accurate. Although IR alignment with the CR and part is important to prevent elongation distortion, it does not have an effect on the atomic relationships that are demonstrated. After the CR and part are accurately aligned, the IR should be positioned as close to perpendicular to the CR as possible. If the CR is not positioned perpendicular to the IR, the resulting projection will demonstrate elongation in the direction toward which the CR was angled. But the anatomic alignment of the structures are demonstrated as required for the projection. The more acute the CR and IR angle, the greater the elongation. In this situation, the IR will need to be offset in the direction toward which the CR is angled more than what would occur if the IR were positioned perpendicular to the CR. Because of this offset, careful attention should be given to centering the center of the IR to the CR. Imaging long bones. To demonstrate long bones with the least amount of distortion and obtain optimal anatomical alignment, the CR is aligned perpendicular and the IR parallel with the bone's long axis. When imaging a long bone, 
where the patient is unable to position the bone so its long axis is parallel with the IR, the alignments created between the CR, IR, and bone determine the degree and type of distortion and the anatomical relationships demonstrated on the resulting projection. The law of isometry indicates that the CR should be set at half of the angle formed between the object and IR to minimize foreshortening. For example, if the patient's knee cannot be fully extended for an AP femur projection, causing the femur to be at a 30 degree angle with the IR and the distal femur positioned at a larger OID than the proximal femur, the CR should be angled 15 degrees toward the proximal femur. This setup provides a projection with reduced foreshortening and improved, although not optimal, anatomic alignment of the joints. The joints will not demonstrate optimal anatomical alignment when the law of isometry is used because the CR is not perpendicular with the long bone for this setup, and the diverged x-rays recording the joints are not at the same angles as they are when the CR is perpendicular. One can also have the part at a tilt with the IR and keep the CR aligned perpendicular to the part. This setup produces the same anatomic alignments of the joints of interest like when they are obtained for the ideal setup, but because one end of the long bone was positioned at a greater OID than the other, a long bone demonstrates elongation. Whether the ideal setup for a long bone that cannot be positioned with its long axis parallel with the IR is obtained using the law of isometry or a perpendicular CR is best decided by using the setup that will optimally demonstrate the VOI. The law of isometry demonstrates the least foreshortening, and a perpendicular CR best demonstrates the anatomic relationship at the joints. When imaging long bones that require both joints to be included on the same projection, but the joints cannot be positioned in a true projection simultaneously because of a fracture, the joint closest to the fracture is positioned in the true projection. Pediatric Imaging The images of pediatric patients are very different from those of adults and from each other during the various stages of bone growth and development. Bones throughout the body enlarge through the deposits of bone at cartilaginous growth regions, and long bones lengthen by the addition of bone material at the epiphyseal plate. Cartilaginous spaces and epiphyseal plates exist throughout the skeletal structure. They appear as darker shaded spaces and lines on projections, and may look similar to an irregular fracture or joint space to those unfamiliar with pediatric imaging. The appearances of these spaces and lines are reduced as the child develops, until early adulthood when they are replaced by bone and are no longer visible on the projection. Round bones, such as the carpal and tarsal bones, are rarely formed at birth and therefore are not demonstrated on projections of neonatal and very young pediatric patients. Because of this continual state of development, some anatomic relationships described in the imaging analysis sections may not be useful for determining accurate positioning for the pediatric patient. It is beyond our scope here to explain all the differences that could be demonstrated at different growth stages for each projection included in this text. When evaluating pediatric projections for proper anatomic alignment, use only the analysis guidelines that describe bony structures that are developed enough to use. For example, the section on PA risk projection analysis describes the alignment of carpal bones and metacarpals to determine accurate positioning. 
The carpal bone alignment cannot be used to evaluate young pediatric risk because all the carpal bones are not formed, but the metacarpals can be used to determine positioning accuracy. Technical considerations. Pediatric imaging requires lower technical values, KV and mass, when compared with those for adults. Box 2.2 lists guidelines to follow when selecting technical values for pediatric patients. Number one, choose a high MA and short exposure times to prevent patient motion. Number two, only use a grid if the part thickness measures over four to five inches. Number three, follow the best practice guidelines for AEC usage closely, as fast enough exposure times and chamber coverage may limit use, or use a thickness measurement-driven manual technique. Number four, lower IR exposure by adjusting KV and mass over that used for adults to maintain ideal IE levels. Clothing artifacts. Because lower KV is used on pediatrics, clothing artifacts may be problematic in neonates and smaller children. The KV used may not be high enough to obscure creases or folds, particularly in unlaundered material or flame-resistant clothing. It is best to image children without upper clothing or with a t-shirt when modesty is an issue. Skin folds of neonates may also cause artifacts when they overlie the chest. Obese patient imaging. As Americans become increasingly obese, it has a direct impact on the healthcare system and imaging departments because these individuals have an increased incidence of diabetes, heart disease, and certain types of cancer. And there is increasing popularity of bariatric surgery to help manage this condition. The challenges facing technologists as they image obese patients include transporting and accommodating larger patients on the current equipment, and difficulties in acquiring quality projections. The following are considerations for imaging this population. Number one, obese patients often feel unwelcome in medical settings, where they encounter negative attitudes, discriminatory behavior, and a challenging physical environment. The emotional needs of these patients must be considered when they are imaged. Avoid making remarks about their size. Be mindful of terms used such as big when referring to special equipment needs or requests for lots of help when transferring the patient. Number two, patient weight and body diameter are factors that should be evaluated before transporting the patient to the department or performing the examination. Use this information to determine whether the patient's weight exceeds any of the equipment weight limits, including waiting room chairs or support structures, or whether his or her diameter exceeds the wheelchair or cart dimensions. Number three, avoid injury to the patient and personnel by making certain that enough people are available to assist if the patient requires moving before or during the procedure. Use moving devices such as table sliders and lifts whenever possible. Number four, determine how the positioning procedure, such as IR cassette size, crosswise lengthwise position of the IR, will need to be adjusted from the routine to accommodate the increased structure size. For example, to include the entire abdomen on a morbidly obese patient, it may require separate IR for each of the four abdominal quadrants instead of one for the top and bottom. Number five, obese patients have inherently low subject contrast because their muscles have lost strength and have become the consistency of fat, 
so technical values must be set to enhance subject contrast while producing the lowest possible patient dose to produce an image with sufficient image contrast. Technical considerations. Thicker patients attenuate more of the primary x-ray photons than thin patients, requiring the technologist to increase mass and or KV to compensate for the exposure loss that would result if a change were not made. Thicker patients also demonstrate a higher SNR reaching the IR, causing a loss in contrast resolution. For example, a typical abdominal projection taken on a patient measuring 20 centimeters will demonstrate an SNR of 3 to 1, meaning that 75% of the photons striking the IR are scattered photons that carry little or no useful information. For larger patients, the ratio in the abdomen can approach 5 to 1 or 6 to 1. When determining how to adjust the technique for a thicker patient, the technologist must consider the effect that the change will have on patient dose and contrast resolution. As long as the KV is set to provide adequate demonstration of subject contrast throughout the part, increasing the mass will generate enough x-rays to provide more IR exposure. As a general rule, for every 4 centimeters of added tissue thickness, the mass should be doubled to maintain IR exposure. This technique adjustment will have a significant increase on patient dose because the increase in dose is directly proportional to the mass increase. It will also demonstrate lower contrast because the amount of scatter radiation produced will increase with increased thickness. Another technique adjustment option is to increase the KV. This will increase the penetration ability of the photons, resulting in more of them reaching the IR and increasing IR exposure. As a general rule, for every centimeter of added tissue thickness, the KV is adjusted by 2 KV. This option will increase patient dosage, but not directly or nearly as much as with mass. The drawback of using KV is that it lowers subject contrast visualization and will increase the amount of scatter radiation that will be directed toward the IR. For best results, when adjusting technique for a thicker patient, the KV should be set as high as possible to reduce radiation dose but should not exceed a KV value that will result in the scatter fogging being detrimental to the quality of the projection. After KV value maximum has been attained, additional adjustments are made with mass. Scatter radiation control. One of the biggest obstacles when imaging the obese patient is controlling scatter radiation enough to provide a projection that has sufficient contrast resolution. This is accomplished by using very aggressive, tight collimation using a high-ratio grid, or using an air gap technique. Number one, tight collimation is often difficult when imaging obese patients because the collimator's light field demonstrated on the patient does not represent the true width and length of the field set on the collimator. The thicker the part being imaged, the smaller the collimator's light field that appears on a patient's skin surface. On a very thick patient, it is difficult to collimate the needed amount when the light field appears so small, but on these patients, tight collimation demonstrates the largest improvement in the visibility of recorded details. Learn to use the collimator guide to determine the actual IR coverage. Number two, many projections such as the inferior superior axial shoulder projection, which do not require a grid on a typical patient, will need to be performed using a grid. Measure all structures and use a grid when the part thickness is more than 10 centimeters. 
focal spot size. When using a small focal spot, the MA is typically limited to 300 MA or less. Using such a small focal spot may not be feasible when imaging an obese patient because it would require a long exposure time to achieve the needed IR exposure and motion may result. Anatomic exposure control. Select a high MA to avoid long exposure times and the potential motion it causes. Also, adjust the backup timer to 150 to 200% of the expected manual exposure time. Number one, when possible, remove overlapping soft tissue from the area being imaged to decrease the thickness of the tissue being penetrated. Overlapping breast and arm tissue can be held away from the shoulder during an inferior superior axial shoulder projection to decrease thickness and improve detail visibility. Number two, use a palpable bony structure to position the patient and to collimate whenever possible. Remember, the skeletal structure does not increase in size with an increase in the soft tissue surrounding it. Using a palpable bony structure to determine where structures are located whenever possible will help you position accurately and collimate more specifically to the structures of interest. When the soft tissue thickness prevents palpation of bony structures, use signs such as depressions or dimples in the soft tissue that suggest where the bony structures are located. Observe closely how the patient is positioned for each projection. So if a repeat is needed, you can adjust the amount needed from the original positioning. And that is the end of chapter two. Thanks for listening.